Hi, I'm Kay Crudson, and you're listening to Cradle, the podcast. In this podcast, we'll be hearing some incredibly brave stories as we explore different issues and topics surrounding baby loss. We'll hear from some healthcare professionals just what's being done to best support those that need it. From family and friends, how are they affected? And we'll hear from you, your story. Because together, you're not alone. We're probably going to cry, but I do hope there's going to be laughter. And more importantly, there will be support. This is Cradle the Podcast. I hope I find you well. I have got a bit of a standard New Year cold, so apologies if I do dribble throughout this episode. Um, I hope I find you in in a good place. And just to remind you, as always, if you're not and you want to talk to someone, there's so many ways in which we can support you at Cradle. We do one-to-ones. We have our online support group, Cradle Connected. You can find out all the details on our website, cradlecharity.org. In your area, you may have funding that you can get counselling. So there's so many ways. So just remember that you're not alone. We're here for you 24-7. Get us on the website or drop me an email. I'm always here for you to talk to. Now, if you've been with Cradle the Podcast from the beginning, or if you're new, welcome. Thank you for joining us. More importantly, thank you for downloading and subscribing. You might remember, um, it was back last October, it was our second episode, and we were chatting to David Monteith, an incredible episode, uh, one that I firmly recommend you going back and having a listen to. Um, David shared his and his wife Siobhan's story um, about their second daughter, Grace, who was born dead in 2014. Um, David's a great guy. He's become a good friend. And I was having a chat with him about standout people and people that I need to know about and people that you need to know about. And when I asked him the question, David, who do I need to know? He said, Dan Hill. I said, Dan Hill? He said, yeah. Daddy's with angels. I went straight online and stalked Dan Hill. And within about a second, I realized David was right. I needed to know him and you need to know him. And that is why he's with us right now on the podcast. Dan Hill, thank you so much for being here. Good evening. You all right? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. How are you? Oh, living the dream. Living the dream. I'm actually at work talking to you. So you've, you've provided me with a break. I'm quite happy. Oh, good. Hope you've got snacks and beverages. I'm on a a diet. I've recently been diagnosed as diabetic, so everything's beige. Have you? Right. On a side note, Dan Hill, um, I don't know why I keep calling you a full Sunday name, by the way. (laughs) I had... As long as you don't say Dan Hill, we're all right. (laughs) Daniel, what have I done wrong? Um, I had gestational diabetes and um, life wasn't beige. I'm going to say it was boring, but I was very healthy with it. So does it have to be beige? Well, I don't know. I've become addicted to snacker jacks. Oh, that is beige. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk <laughs> recipes, but not on the podcast. Um, so, Dan, first of all, I mean, let's cut straight to it. Daddy's with angels. Tell me about your angels. 
my angels. Well, I'm married to Jade. I've been married to Jade since the year 2000. We uh, we got married after nine weeks together. Nine uh, weeks? Nine weeks, yeah. I think it was because I was near, nearly 30 and she was still a teenager, which really helped. Um, yeah, that sort of pushed it along a little bit. We had our first loss more or less immediately. Um, just to let you know exactly where I come from. When I'm speaking to student midwives and student nurses and I've stood there at the plinth and I need to get their attention, I always start with I'm the proud father of 17 children. 12 of them are dead. And I've normally got the room at that point. Uh, we had 11 preterm losses. Um, and in 2013, we had a, a beautiful little girl called Isabella um, who was killed at eight days old uh, due to medical errors. Um, we have five children with us as well. So with I quite often say I'm the luckiest unlucky man in the world um, for that reason, really. I've got five beautiful children, but you know that doesn't take away the pain and the losses and the devastation of of each of the ones that we can't hold so so they're they're my angels that is um that is quite some story and um if you've listened to cradle podcasts you'd know that i always have this when when i chat to people and i and i'm also the same when i talk about my losses, our story, what we've been through. It's very matter of fact. This happened, this happened, this happened, this is where I am now. Um, which is, you know, needed somewhat to just get the facts, the basics. But take me back to Dan of 2000, to Dan who's just met Jade and, I mean, you got married after nine weeks and, I don't know if the first baby was planned or not planned, but talk to me about Dan in that moment, having found out that you're pregnant with your well, new bride. Let let me go back to that. I'm an, I'm an ex-military man. Uh, I'm ex-prison service and I'm an ex-bouncer. So that tells you a bit about me. Um, I was a strong bloke. Nothing really bothered me. In, in fact, I was, I was probably quite, wasn't really a nice guy, to be honest. Um, and my losses, as as they've multiplied over the years, they've changed me into what I am now. But going back to two thousand, everything exciting, just got just got married, found out we were pregnant, and it was an immediate loss. And it was difficult for me because I'd grown up in an environment where men were guarded about showing any emotions. And that back in two thousand, I mean, it's a little bit different now, but. Back in 2000, men were men, and we weren't allowed to grieve, and we weren't allowed to do things like that. Um, so anyway, we, we got we got past that, and we fell pregnant again with our eldest, Charlie Jane. She's 22 now. Um, and, you know, it was put down as one of those things. It wasn't investigated. And, yeah, I was a little bit messed up. My wife a lot more than me. Um, there's, there's a thing about men and miscarriage where society in general looks at them and goes oh how's your wife how's your wife and they don't take into consideration the man and because of that men neglect themselves because they think well i shouldn't be grieving because i didn't carry the child and 
And should you be grieving? It's, it's, it's massively wrong, to be honest, Kay. Um, yeah. Whereas we don't have that physical bond, we didn't carry them. What men tend to do is we grieve for the journey. As soon as I found out we were pregnant, you know, it was a case of, I was thinking first steps, first teeth, first day at school, walking them down the aisle. It's a, and that's a journey. And when you lose that child, you lose that journey. So you grieve the journey as well as the child. So it affects men quite deeply. But society just doesn't give them that chance to grieve. Um, which is, anyway, I digress. Going back to, uh, then we had, uh, like I said, we had Charlie Jane. Then we had another couple of losses. Um, then we had Georgia. And she's... 21, doing very well. She's a uh, cabin crew for an airline. Um, then another four or five losses, and then Mason came along. I only have one boy. That's Mason. He's he's a lovely kid. He's 13 years old. He's a footballing superstar, um, <laughs> doing really, really well. He, secretly, he's my retirement plan. Let's get him signed up for someone soon. <laughs> um, and then we had Tabitha. Tabitha's a little darling. She's 11 now. Um, the most caring little girl you'll ever meet. Then we had Isabella. Um, Isabella is really the little one that turned my life around. Up until that point, I was working out in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, I wasn't, like, as I said, I wasn't a particularly nice bloke, to be fair. Um, How so? And then, it's just that I lived in I lived in a quite violent surroundings. Uh, I was with the lads all the time. It was very, you know, the level of humour was low. The banter was cruel, etc. Mm. And I would go away and I'd leave my wife at home with the children we had, um, without really a second thought. And it was quite selfish of me because she was at home struggling while I was out there. Um, and I, I was having a way at the time. I loved my job and everything else. But when when you're grieving, and I was still grieving at that point, um, and you're walking around and you're armed and dark thoughts are going through your head and things like that, it's really not a good place to be. Uh, again, I digress. Sorry, going back to Isabella. The loss of Isabella was cruel. It was really, really cruel. And I'll explain how it shapes what I do now. Isabella was born early at 26 weeks, uh, extremely strong. She was doing really well. Uh, and then a doctor made a series of mistakes and didn't follow the local trust procedures. And the medication that was to make her stronger ended up killing her. If anybody's bored and they want to go on YouTube, just have a look at Isabella Hope Hill. You'll see the news reports. It was, it was quite big news. And myself and Jade sat down after the dust had settled and we'd, uh, we'd had a funeral and the inquest into her death. And we sat down and we decided that we would try and make a difference and try and stop it happening to anybody else. And the mistakes that happened were avoidable. And we found out there was no national policy, no national guidelines for the use of UVC uh, lines into neonatal. Uh, babies so we campaigned for over two years two and a half years to get a national policy change throughout the nhs in england and wales and in the end we were successful with that um so wow. 
I mean, she would have been 10 this year. Uh, by the time she would have turned 21, she'll have saved a thousand lives. There'd have been a thousand children going home because of the fights that my daughter put up and the fight that me and Jade put up to get the policies changed. Um, yeah, I'm still immensely oh. proud. Immensely proud. And since Isabella, um, we have a little five year old at home, little Meredith, who's an absolute godsend. Um, she's she's beautiful, she's witty, she's funny, and she melts me on a daily basis. And I turned into a bit of a softy. Um, <laughs> I, I I gave up all the travelling round and everything to be at home and to stay in <clears throat> in the UK. Um, which is why I now do 16-hour night shifts and I'm dying. Um, yeah, so, that, I mean, that's that's the story of the, of the children and the order they came in. 11 preterm losses, Isabella, who died at eight, and obviously the five the five children we have with us now. Um, our house is very loud, as you can probably imagine. I bet. Um, but that, that's about that, so... You asked about the angels. I've sort of thrown them all in together there. <laughs> you said um, you said before that that that's changed. What's happened to you? Certainly since Isabella has changed who you are now. So who who is Dan now? Who am I now? That's a good question. It's it would be easier to say who am I compared to how I used to be. Um my my losses have given me a passion to change things. Um when when we lost the the earlier the earlier losses, there's nothing for for dads especially. Um I'll talk about dads because as as you know there's there's lots of support out there for the mums. And rightly so, um, but there's a severe lack for child loss at any age um, out there for dads. And after our campaign, I was brought into Daddies with Angels by Paul Scully Sloan, who sadly is no longer with us. He was the founder of Daddies with Angels 12 years ago. Um, and he'd seen the campaign and he wanted me to get involved. Um, and I found by getting involved, that by helping other people, uh, it helps me and it's helped me heal and it's helped me get stronger. And that's built a bigger passion and a bigger passion. And, you know, if anything, I've become a bit of an activist for for dads um, to try and make those resources available to them, give them somewhere to turn. And... Um, you know, and that's that's who I am now. I plow myself into it. Um, I never take a day off with Daddies with Angels, much to my uh, support staff's uh, disgust, because sometimes I think they wish I'd shut up and leave them alone. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a caring person now, which, looking back, I wasn't. You know, I, I take on other people's grief now and I try and advise them, I try and guide them and I try and point them in the right direction purely because I've been there and I'm still walking that path. So if I can help somebody else and make it slightly easier for them, 
that's who I am, you know, and long may it continue, to be fair. What do daddies with angels need? It's easy for me to sit here and say what what I need, what I think other women need, but we're two different species. I mean, we, we both grieve, and I don't pretend to understand the psyche of you ladies. Um, <laughs> if, if any man could understand... Try. If any man could understand the way a woman's brain works, there'd be a millionaire, believe me. Um, Just give you one tip. When we say yeah, we're yeah. fine, we're absolutely You're not. not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I understand that. I, I picked that up quite a few years ago, um, and my wife still tells me she's fine, so I've not cracked that one yet. <laughs> what do daddies with angels need? Put daddies with angels to one side for a minute. What does the breed dad need? They need to be recognized. They need to be shown that they've gone through the trauma as well. They've gone through the devastation and they need to know that they matter. The one thing that really gets to dads, apart from the loss itself, is that they feel forgotten. They feel like they've got to be the strong one. They're not allowed to grieve. And that has to change. And the only way that can change is if employers recognize that their employee has gone through trauma you know instead of saying you know i went to work i went back to work after one of our losses and my boss went how's your wife coping he didn't ask how i was so men have to be taken more seriously when it comes to the grief you know they've gone through the devastation they've gone through the trauma as well and that that needs to be recognized what do daddies with angels need we need more media exposure um i took over four years ago now um and to be fair when i took over i i put myself in in normally say in the shoes of but he always wore sandals and i put myself into paul's hot seat and everybody thought daddy's when angels would fail at that point and i'll be quite honest have you ever met your hero? If you've ever met your hero, mm-hmm. trying to live up to that is right. horrific. Um, and I've suddenly had to sit in the hot seat that was occupied by a guy that I looked up to and try and not only keep his legacy alive from what he created, but to grow it and to to make it more effective. And uh, there were a lot of people um, that were quite open about saying that Daddy's with Angels would fail. And apart from my wife and children, I would say my proudest achievement is to say that Daddy's with Angels didn't fail. In fact, it's grown immensely. Our exposure levels are huge now. Um, and we are becoming a voice that's recognised um we're helping more and more people we're getting more and more exposure across social media um people in parliament are ringing me and talking to me about different things um which would never have happened before so i'm extremely proud about that we just need to carry on getting the exposure out there so that we can help more dads that is what angels originally started as a families group and then after about three years, 
Paul recognised that the dads needed a slightly different approach um, to support. So then the separate dads group was created. And now they're about 50-50. We've got about 2,000 dads involved. And we have about 2,000 families members on the families group as well. So it's sort of a 50-50 split, but we are recognised for helping dads because there's so little support out there for them. Why do you think that is, though? <sighs> like in 2023, why, why is there still... Can I, can I be, I'll be... I'll be really controversial here. Um, the, reason, the reason Daddies with Angels exist is because a national charity, one of the national charities, turns us away. When I had my losses, I approached a national charity and I was told dads aren't welcome. When Paul lost uh, TJ, when uh, before Daddies with Angels was even invented, he went for help to a national charity and he was turned away. And there's only one reason that I can think of for that. Either they don't have the expertise to deal with male grief or there's no funding. And if there's no funding, people won't, won't support anybody. And it's a horrible mercenary way of looking at it that grief for men has zero funding. So people ignore it. Now, that is the that is one of the beautiful things about Daddies with Angels. We are, we are free to everybody. We quite often fund it ourselves. We have been very lucky this last year because the mayor of Wigan took us on board. Uh, DHL have taken us on board. We are in talks with a um, a potential sponsor uh, to take us forward for the next 10 years, and we're very lucky. But when it comes to being centrally funded, there's there's very little out there. And the charities that do deal with with grief very much overlook a lot of the dads because there's no funding involved. I don't, but I don't know any statistics, like actual statistics about mental health. I do know a good friend of mine who is um, a trustee of Mentel, men's mental health charity, and figures especially um, during and post COVID about all different issues, but also including grief and baby loss grief. Numbers just went through the roof, and it blows my uh, mind that it's still not as a more equal balance the the one thing that one thing the pandemic did was it forced people to spend more time with themselves i know that sounds really stupid but the worst yeah. place for for a bereaved parent to be is alone in their own head oh, they need an outlet yeah. they need an outlet and what the pandemic did was take away the outlet for a lot of people they spent more time thinking then the depression started and the downward spiral starts as we all know it can happen um if it's not if you don't get any kind of intervention or you don't have an outlet that that spiral just keeps going um now figures are very difficult for the numbers of suicides due to baby loss or child loss in general obviously that is with angels as a child loss charity not just a baby loss charity so we do any age, any gestation, and any cause. So, I mean, when I spoke to uh, the NHS and I was asking about suicide rates and that, they can't give an accurate figure because, especially with some with, with some of the, the males, the NHS don't even know that they've suffered from baby loss. 
So they, they see a suicide, but they don't link it to anything because there's nothing written down about it. Um, yeah, it's the oh men, mental health. Now, and I know, I know it's a trend. It's a trendy subject. Obviously, uh, the Royal family are now involved with mental health and, you know, it's becoming more of a, uh, accepted conversation topic. What isn't an accepted conversation topic is the loss of a child. The, the the accepted way of dealing with that is someone says, oh, I've, I've lost a child. The accepted response is, oh, I'm sorry. And then they move on to another subject. Sorry is a cop-out. Part of what they do in Daddies with Angels is we banned the word sorry for that reason. Um, mm. We're trying to get people to think about how they're talking to bereaved families. And just to say sorry and move on to another subject, that's not good enough. You know, I, the the one thing above all things, I don't want my children to be forgotten. It's a massively important thing to me is that Isabella, you know, she was there in my arms. She should never be forgotten. So I'm, I won't accept sorry and move on. I want people to talk about Isabella. I want about people to talk about my other 11 angels. You know, not just, oh, you lost a child. Okay. You know, Isabella matters to my family. They And the ripples from her death and the changes she made, um, you know, with the NHS policies and things like that, that's huge. She should never be forgotten. You know, that's the main thing. People need to start talking about child loss. It is so common. You know, everybody I know knows of someone or has been directly affected by the loss of a child, either preterm, neonatal, or, you know, throughout childhood. There's always been someone, oh, I know someone's had a miscarriage. Right, you know somebody. What did you do about it? Did you go and speak to them about it? Did you ask, could you know, you could you speak to them about it? People think that by not talking about child loss, you're protecting the parents. You're not. You're damaging the parents. And that needs to change as well. Sorry, I got my high horse then. No, no, I like your passion. It's good, though. It's good. Do you know what's nice? And, I mean, it's ridiculous to say, but different is that it's a bloke that's passionate talking about baby loss. That in itself is silly, isn't it? Because do, do you know what? I know more should be. I, pers I personally know of... I mean, apart, I'm sorry, this is not meant to sound bad. I've got a support team of dads that work with me, and I'm very honoured to be, like, the figurehead for them, and they're very passionate. When I when I talk about people that are heavily involved, I'm talking about uh, Chris, I'm talking about David Monteith, and you hear the passion that yeah. comes from, come, you know, it's it's part of us, and it's really quite strong with us. And it's people like David and Chris and hopefully myself that are going to change things for the bereaved families coming through. And that's why we get so sort of emotional with it. You know, I've, I've listened to I've listened to David speak on a podium and, you know, I sit there and I think that's me. But he says it a lot better. You know, it's like you say, it's rare. I, I only know of us three. I can't. I can't think of that many others yeah. that are so outspoken. As in, you get a lot of people doing lots of heavy fundraising and things like that. And I love those people. There's very few people that stand up in front of people and tell them 
straight exactly what this should be. And, and just again, say their baby's name it. and say... Oh, say, was, say their name. She's my daughter. On, yeah. That, that comes up on, you know, all, all the time. Um, when we're sharing pictures within our support groups and things like that, shout the names, scream the names. They did exist. They do matter. And general society that avoids talking about them, they're hurting us. And that's got to change. So, yeah. <laughs> why do you think talking about those children that aren't with us anymore, why do you think that makes people feel so uncomfortable? Because it scares them to death. And that is the straight answer. We, as angel parents, and the majority of the people listening to this podcast right now will be, you know, part of that terrible group that we are. You know, it's... Oh. Yeah, you, you've got me... But things like that matter. Who was thing. Isabella? Like, who did she look like? She will have looked like probably one, it's, two, three, all of your children. They all have similar... Yeah. Well, that, but why... Well, it blows my mind that that... I God they all take after their mother in the looks department. That's all I'll say <laughs> on that. Um, you know, the reason people don't talk about it is because it's the scariest subject on the planet. There isn't a parent out there, a good parent, sorry, out there that could that hasn't been through what we've been through, right, could look at their children and go, how would I cope if my child died? So the natural response of the brain is to let's not think about it, let's not talk about it, it might not happen. It's common. The amount of losses, preterm losses, is immense. It's get it's getting better, but it's it's absolutely immense. But people don't talk about it. One of my friends uh, on the group, um, is his lad passed away in a, uh, a car accident. People avoid talking to him about him. Now, this lad was the apple of his eye. He wants to talk about him, but people won't because they're scared. They're scared of upsetting themselves. They're scared of saying the wrong thing, and they're scared of upsetting the parents. And that's down to poor education. We need to educate society to say it's okay to speak about them. So, long-winded answer for you, but that's why people don't talk about it. And quite a lot of a common theme that um, arises with one-to-ones and, and people that I've had on the podcast has been um breakdown of friendships and the grief caused because of that breakdown of relationship post-death of a baby. So I don't know if you've experienced it. I personally did, where one of my best friends just, that was it, just couldn't yeah. be there. More Jade than myself to be honest um one of jade's now that's an interesting staff. point is that because she's female do are men this is where we differ maybe are men in grief well you tell me are you more likely to like when my mate didn't come step forward our relationship broke down David explains it much better than I did episode two. But our relationship broke down. She couldn't cope with my grief, my grief for someone that 
she'd never met, let alone me, but I had met my baby, just not in this life. Um, and and that relationship broke down. I, as a female woman, I was, should I have had the balls to say, oh, do you know what I mean? Where are you? I need you. Step up. It's a man more likely to say that. Yeah, well, let me just, I'll address that bit first. I think I can only, t- I can, in this case, I can only talk from my own personal experience, is mm. that I am a lot more outgoing than Jade is. Um, and Jade suffered when we, especially when we lost Isabella, you know, because we physically had her here. We were told she was coming home. We were told that we had a beautiful girl and she was coming home with us. Uh, and then somebody else's mistakes took her away. Um, the PTSD involved in that meant that Jade didn't leave the house very much um, and she became quite withdrawn and she's still ill to this day. Um, I'm, I get angry by it because her best friend literally crossed the road to avoid it when we were walking down the street. And that's that's horrific not only is it bad because jade doesn't didn't have the outlet and she didn't have that friendship that someone to cry on the shoulder with and someone who would talk about and things like that it was callous it was cowardice that forced people are scared and that's what i said in the in the previous the previous question you know people are scared of us because we live their nightmares and yeah you know, it, it's horrific. Is it is it a sex thing? I. It, it's a tough one because I, I I presume it's very much down to individuals. Now, I spent a lot of time abroad. I didn't have a wide circle of friends, um, and again, as I said, I was one of those strong characters. I was a rugby playing military man, and you know. I must look as if I'm carrying on and things like that. And so it was much easier for me to put a brave face onto things and pretend that I was okay. And I wasn't. Whereas Jade couldn't hide it. And that became a block, if you like, an obstacle for people coming around. She wouldn't leave the house. People was probably feel uncomfortable to come in. And, and I get all that. I absolutely get that. You know, it's, I think that's a very individual thing, but I think that men, because it's expected of them, outwardly at least, show a bit of bravado. They'll go out, they'll have a bit of banter with their with their mates and that because that's what's expected to happen. So, you know, I think it's society that's made it happen rather than the gender issue. Mm. So, what changed? In you, if you, you know, you made out you were fine when you knew you weren't and Jade was openly not fine. How did it, when was the light bulb moment when, for you, you realised, I need help? Um, I think I knew immediately. I think I knew before Isabella. I think I knew with the uh, the earlier losses. Uh, but like I say, I was in a situation where I was surrounded by military lads you couldn't show weakness. If you showed a weakness, it was, you know, very, very obvious. And my line of and work wouldn't have been able to do it. Cry. 
talk about well, emotion. exactly. No, no, no outpouring of emotions. No outward signs of grief. Um, you'd keep your military sense of humour going because, as I said, it, it, it was expected of me. And then when I spent any time alone, I would sink very, very heavily. Um, I had some very dark thoughts. You know, I'd be sat there cleaning my, cleaning my pistol at night and just thinking, God, this would be easy. Um, and when you're thinking like that, it's it's a dark, dark place to be in. I think the turning point was when myself and Jade were successful with the campaign for Isabella uh, to change the NHS policies. And it was then Paul reached out to me and brought me into Daddies with Angels. But what he also did was he became my friend um, and we'd spend hours talking. And it was that outlet I needed. And that was the moment I realized that I was really, I, I realized just how bad I had been. And I think I was very, very lucky to to have Paul. Um, you know, he he was a, he was a very, very special bloke. His sense of humour was dry. It was very dark, and he had a habit of saying really inappropriate things. But what an absolute genius when it came to reading people. And he realised I had an issue. And he worked out how to get me through it. And the way to get me through it was to, first of all, get me to open up to him and then to get other people to open up to me. And he realized I was strong enough to take on other people's grief. Um, and it's helped me and it's helped me all the way through. But that was the turning point. It was someone actually giving me an outlet. And it's it's a massive thing. You know, from being alone in my own head, in my own grief, and my own despair to suddenly having someone going, you right, Paul, let's have a chat. You know, it, it's, it's a huge thing. People underestimate the, the power of it. And that's the kind of thing that we're trying to do at Daddies with Angels. We're trying to give all members of the families that outlet where they can just be amongst other people that understand because every single member is an angel parent or an angel sibling or an angel grandparent, you know, and there's always someone in that group that's walked a similar path as you have. The circumstances of the passing may be different, but the journey through the grief cycle is very, very similar for everybody. And that's what I'm hoping that DWA is giving people. Uh, and as we get bigger and we are getting ridiculously big, really, for a charity that's run from my kitchen, you know, it's. I know that sounds really bad, doesn't it? <laughs> you see all these, no, see all no. these charities I'm it. with the with the big buildings and everything, and mine's run from a council house in Wigan. <laughs> and I'm in a storage cupboard, just so you're full aware. I'm... No, you talk a lot about Paul, and you can tell, you know, in the way you talk about him, how much he means to you, um, and how much you you know, you want DWA to continue and strive to be better and to honour what he started. What what would life have been like for you had you not met Paul? I don't think I'd be here, Kate, to be honest. And that sounds dramatic and, you know, there'll be sceptics that are sitting there thinking, oh, what a wuss. 
it's not a wuss at all. Um, you know, and it's not about numbers. It doesn't matter if you've lost one child or if you've lost 12 like I have. The devastation is immense. I'll be fair, the children that I have with us were a huge reason for me to stay. But to be quite honest, I don't think I'd have been very good for them had I not met Paul. And that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big statement. I, I think that the spiral I was in would have meant that I wasn't a good dad. I wouldn't have been a good dad. And now I'm extremely proud of the way that my children look at me. You know, my, my house is full of cuddles. It's full of sit-down talks. It's full of advice. My children listen to me and my wife. You know, and I'm very proud of what I've become. But I don't think I would have been that person had Paul not intervened when he did. Uh, and that's not just me. What made What made him such a special guy was... He was probably the first angel dad to make such an impact into the child lost world and to rescue so many people. I mean, we've got 11,000 followers on social media um, and we're actively supporting 4,000 members. These are people that wouldn't have had DWA had Paul not been so important. And when we lost him a few years ago, um, it, it was like, it was like losing a twin. It was like it was it, that. That's how how heavily his death weighed not just on me, but all the the support team and you know a lot of the members were very vocal in the in their grief when Paul passed, and he's he's still missed to this day. Awkward silence. I'm a massive fan of a silence. I, um, <laughs> I, it, it, it's another thing that does make people feel really awkward, and I like to just keep it going just that little bit too far to really push the awkward boundary. Because I'm, yeah, let's, I'm let's push the comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my friend, I hope you understand when I say I'm putting a pause on this conversation with Dan Hill for now. We're going to carry on with part two of my chat with Dan in a week's time because I didn't want to cut it short. I didn't want to end it. There's so much to talk about. He's such a lovely, interesting, genuine guy. And I think there's a lot that we can take away from him. So we will be back with him with part two. Until then, check out their website, Daddies with Angels. Hopefully um, you've found the conversation interesting or there's something, some way in which that he can support you or we can at Cradle, cradlecharity.org. Remember, you're not alone. There's always someone to talk to 24-7. So just drop me an email if nothing else or you'll find me on all social media. So I'll be back with Dan Hill. And until then, you take care. <laughs>